Hey everyone, welcome to the Landlord Association podcast. I'm your host, George Gao. This is a podcast by the landlords and for the landlords in the greater Houston area. We'll discuss tips, strategies, techniques to help our listeners to be more educated and ultimately become more successful rental property owners and investors. Hello everyone, welcome to episode 12. Last week, we had the honor of speaking with Michael Plax, who founded the tax accounting company called REAC Tax Firm. Michael is an expert on IRS taxation and real estate business, and he frequently writes and speaks on these topics. And he's also a regular contributor on the Bigger Pockets forums. Michael has over 20 years experience representing clients and dealing with IRS. More importantly, as he talked about in this episode, his company doesn't just prepare the tax returns, but also offers tax strategies year-round to help you plan for your ever-changing business needs. Michael also talked about capital gains tax and how that's different between rental property versus a flipping or wholesale business. He also touched on lots of other important topics such as depreciation and opportunity zone fund and how that's different from the traditional 1031 exchange. All right, without any further ado, let's get into our conversation with Michael Plax. Michael, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thanks for having me on the podcast. Okay. Yes, George. Yes. You know, we haven't had, we never had you on the Lenovo Social Meeting before. Just give our listeners a brief background and how you get involved in real estate. My best answer would be that it happened by accident, mm-hmm. just like it happened with a lot of our clients. If mm-hmm. they ask, uh, if you ask them how they ended up in real estate as well, they were doing something else, had a job, then uh, came across a podcast mm-hmm. <laughs> and decided that's a good thing to try. So what happened in my case is I was in the tax business. Uh, many years ago uh, as a general tax practitioner doing taxes for everybody then at some point i realized a few of my clients had uh, real estate holdings and i learned a few things about that and then one day i came to a reach club meeting uh, uh, which is the oldest houston real estate club uh, mm-hmm. and uh, i was invited uh, to a meeting of that uh, club to explain depreciation, mm-hmm. which is a very confusing topic for a lot of investors, but I knew it, so I went to the meeting and gave a 40-minute presentation on depreciation. And after that meeting, I was swarmed with people trying to make an appointment and uh, asking me questions and all of that. And I look at that, sounds like, wait a second, you know, that's, mm-hmm. that's a niche. People are really craving for good information in that area and pretty soon after that we started saying what we've been saying for the last 20 years we work exclusively mm-hmm. with real estate investors okay so everybody who is our client is a real estate investor for over 20 years so that's how it happened wow that's great i mean sometimes the best way to attract business is to kind of meet them face to face and you know not only you're going out there, shake hands, but you know, keep a little speech in front of people, then they'll come to you, right? That's a much better way of doing things than um, you know, go shake hands and try to meet everybody yourself. Um, so, how long ago was that? Was that that was over twenty years ago? Okay. No, the me- well, the Reach Club meeting, yeah, maybe sixteen years ago. I lost, mm-hmm. you know, I'm an old guy losing track of time mm-hmm. uh, with that much time. But I want to tell a funny story related to that. So after that meeting, you know, that was my first meeting about uh, first meeting in the real estate community where everybody was an investor. And uh, like often happens after the meeting, uh, we went to a restaurant 
and were sitting there. I was in the middle of this crowd of investors who started talking shop. Mm-hmm. And they used words that back then didn't mean much to me. Mm-hmm. You know, they started uh, talking something about subject two, triple net leases, things like that. And I remember sitting there completely confused by all of that. Mm-hmm. So the first thing I did getting back into my car is I took a little notepad and pen and wrote down those terms that I could come back and research them and find out what was all this conversation right. about so ignorant i was at the time like now i teach it but mm-hmm. it's funny to remember but everybody starts at zero mm-hmm. you know every investor when they go into that business they don't know how to run it well that's how i started in my business too didn't know any terminology any strategies mm-hmm. but with time it comes yeah so you work with all kinds of investors rent buy and hold investors flippers People who does kind of creative financing and also commercial real estate investors, I assume. Yes, correct. Yeah. All kinds. All yes. kinds. Got it. Um, wh- where do you see uh, kind of the, I mean, I, I, even in Houston, right? There's been a lot of changes, um, especially the last five or 10 years. You know, at, at Harvey, probably changed a lot of things too. Um, that what's the most common thing, you know, a new in, Investor come and ask you, says, you know, try, you know, how the tax. New investor doesn't come and ask me about Harvey. Yeah. New, new, new investor comes here and asks me how he can make tons of money and pay zero taxes, <laughs> like supposedly everybody else. Right. And. Uh, Is that possible? Uh, well, if you are in politics, apparently it is. <laughs> if, you, <laughs> if you read the headlines about politicians uh, who are uh, supposedly uh, paying no taxes uh, a few years ago like uh, when about four years ago i actually made a presentation of how on how to be like trump as mm-hmm. far as taxes when it was first uh, when it first made the headlines how supposedly uh, trump did not pay taxes on his vast uh, business uh, empire and i talked about possibilities of what is and what is not realistic so we can talk a little about that yeah is it just you're just taking a lot of depression up front or is he having a lot of losses and what are the possibilities well yes the starting point would be what kind of investor you are what type of strategies you pursue yeah because um a lot of beginner investors without cash reserves and funding sources or good credit or anything like that and uh, start and uh, they have bills to pay like if they don't have a w2 job so what they start with is wholesaling or flipping and wholesaling usually first then goes into flipping okay in both of those areas and i want to make it very clear uh, that you don't have tax benefits when you are doing wholesaling or flipping Mm -hmm. it's not the right way to frame that what you have there is you make money just like in a job and you pay taxes which are fairly high those businesses probably have the highest taxation level mm-hmm. of any uh, business that you can engage in uh, as, as a real estate investor right. so you really don't save money there mm-hmm. so if you are trying to make money in flipping and you're asking is okay how can i run a flipping business make hundred grand and pay no taxes 
That is not possible. Mm -hmm. Okay, you can do it by losing money, which unfortunately happens way too often. But that's a little bit of a, you know, sorry, my uh, lousy pun, but you know, that's a that's a losing strategy to lose money. So yes, in this case, you also if you don't make any money, you don't pay any taxes. But the game changes if you go into buy and hold strategies, if you uh, start becoming a landlord holding rentals. Because the way the tax law is constructed for rental properties is you can have cash flow, yet on the on paper you can show losing money. So in real life you are making money, on paper you are losing money, having the best of both worlds. And that is possible mostly due to depreciation, which is... Uh, phenomenon that mostly exists in real estate yes it's applicable to any business but where it really makes differences in real estate yes so let's talk about depreciation just for a little bit we we'll wanted to do a deep dive but um there are different kinds of depreciation normally for um rent rent residential property what's the what's a how, what's a, how many years can you depreciate uh, what normally happens and when we use the word normally yeah. okay Normally, and tax law is difficult to put okay. in the same gotcha. in in one sentence. Yeah, you know because things are so diverse and there are so many smaller rules and exceptions and then exceptions to exceptions. Mm-hmm. But in the simple way, I prefer to say simple rather than normal. So in a simple scenario, let's say you are buying a hundred grand house. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would happen is you allocate part of that purchase price to land and let's say for the sake of example 20 grand will be land and 80 left for the building so in that simple depreciation scenario what you do is you divide the 80 grand over what irs prescribes as the length for depreciation Mm -hmm. and for rental properties it's 27 and a half years Mm -hmm. don't ask me why such a weird number that's the irs everything about the irs is pretty much weird Right. So 27 and a half years. Right. Uh, and uh, if you are looking at 80,000 property over 27 and a half years, you are looking roughly something like three grand a year is your deduction uh, on that deal. Gotcha. And then what you are, I guess, like where we are drifting towards discussion is you can do better on depreciation by looking at that 80,000 house and saying is, yes, it's a house, but that house has components. Mm -hmm. So something in that house, not everything is the same. For example, part of that house is appliances and carpets. And that in the IRS world is considered a five-year property as opposed to 27 and a half. Even better, that five-year property under the new law can actually be deducted immediately up front. So if you can take 80,000, pull four or 5,000 out of that and say those four or 5,000 appliances and carpets, you get an immediate 5,000 deduction. And then you can look at other pieces and start partitioning that property, finding things that you can deduct faster. That game is called cost segregation or another term for that, which is exactly the same thing, asset segregation. Mm-hmm. 
there are a couple other names people use for that but basically every time you hear cost segregation or asset segregation that's what people refer to finding pieces that can be depreciated faster yeah gotcha and is that something you can do yourself or you should hire an engineer to, to help you do a cost segregation study in this world anything you can do yourself you go on youtube and you can find videos on absolutely everything but the next question is can you do it well you know it's about everything there are there are uh, youtube videos on how to do your taxes how to do a podcast and how to do depreciation right. now uh if we talk about cost segregation the irs expects you to have professionally prepared cost segregation study mm -hmm. and what it means is hiring a company which has uh, licensed engineers who can do that officially accepted report mm -hmm. you can do it yourself it's not prohibited by law but where the problem potentially comes is should you be audited by the irs you would have a burden of proof you will have to convince the irs right. that your numbers are accurate and the irs has the right to tell oh no 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 your numbers are wrong here are our numbers and then it's you know your word against their word if you are trying to find professional company to do that the IRS will not argue with you however cost efficiency becomes an issue because those studies are fairly expensive yeah and uh, yes yeah. if you have a commercial property if you have an apartment complex it's almost always cost justified mm -hmm. because those studies from professional companies start at around three grand mm -hmm. roughly mm -hmm. and uh, very few companies will even bother to do it for a single family home and if they do you are still paying somewhere around a thousand if they agree to do that right. and then you have to run your numbers and make sure it's worth it sometimes it is sometimes it isn't right gotcha and when it when when it's not cost efficient to hire company yes people do end up uh doing their own mm -hmm. cut corner version there are actually some software sites where uh you can go on a website run a questionnaire it's not nobody is coming to actually look at look at your property mm -hmm. and make a real assessment on site but uh you can answer a questionnaire puts uh, put some basic numbers there and then the website software spits out a report for you which is fairly inexpensive you can get it for around like three four hundred dollars mm -hmm. it's better than your guess worse than professional cost segregation studies but yeah. a workable compromise for single family homes okay wow do you have any uh up top of your mind that any software companies or? Uh, one site that does that I, uh, is uh, run by a company called K KPMG. I believe KPMG, I think, right. is the... Uh, I assume it's kpmg.com, but a website could be different. All you need to do really to find it is uh, Google uh, online cost segregation study. Yeah. And those companies would pop up. Right. Just keep in mind that when you do that, even if the company is big and reputable, yeah. there is no real assurance that the IRS will accept that. Right. Those companies sometimes do offer what you are, what you need to look for is some of those companies offer what they call audit insurance. Mm. 
they don't really guarantee, nobody can guarantee you that you won't be audited, but what they say that if you are, they will help you defend yourself. Now, that's that's something that is worth uh, paying for. Yeah, good. No, yeah, I do see some of that with uh, tax returns too. So, um, so that is something available to a buy and hold investors that's not available to 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 flippers or wholesalers. The depreciation piece of it. Yes, George, I actually appreciate yeah. that you brought it up. Yeah. Because there is a lot of confusion. Yeah. And when we, like, I'm very active online uh, talking about various uh, tax-related issues. Uh, I answer a lot of questions on Facebook. Actually, we have our own Facebook group uh, called uh, REI Tax and Legal Wizards. Mm-hmm. And then I'm very active on bigger pockets. Uh, on the tax and legal forum there and in both of those uh, venues as well as like when I do presentations there are a lot of questions about depreciation and 1031 exchanges and things like that for flippers Mm -hmm. and I all the time have to stop uh, people and correct them on the spot because things like stop right there if you are doing flipping this is something that every investor needs to be very uh, clear about. I hope nobody on the podcast will stay confused after after we explain it now. You know, if you are doing flipping, there are no capital gain taxes, no short term, no long term, just no capital gain taxes. Mm-hmm. Your income is not called capital gains. Your income is earned, active, regular income, anything but capital gains. And all of these concepts, which are depreciation, capital gain, 1031 exchanges, installment sales, all of those concepts, they apply to capital gains, mm-hmm. only to rentals. If you are doing flipping, none of that exists. Yeah. If you are doing flipping, you can depreciate your uh, work truck. You can depreciate your heavy equipment. Home but right, or, yeah. uh, yes, part of your home office can be, there is... Small, very. It's actually a very small deduction, yeah. but yes, there is depreciation of yeah. home office. Yeah. But you cannot depreciate properties. And with jumping ahead, we haven't talked about exchanges, mm-hmm. but you cannot do 1031 exchanges mm-hmm. with your flips. A lot of people want to do that, but that's not what mm-hmm. uh, what the exchanges are done for. Okay, even if you hold it for more than a year. Correct. Again, okay. the, it's not about how long you hold it. Mm-hmm. It's about what was your strategy and what was that property mm-hmm. was it a rental or was it a flip so if you bought a property fixed it up rented it for a year then sold and you sold rental property then you can play the game then you can do 1031 exchange mm-hmm. but if you bought property fixed it up and immediately sold it you cannot go in that uh, cannot utilize that strategy okay by the way, I didn't mention opportunity zone funds also fall into that category. They also deal with capital gains. Mm-hmm. Again, cannot do it on flipping. Right. Profits from flipping are not capital gains, cannot be moved into opportunity zone funds either. Right. Yeah. Speaking of opportunity fund zones, you know, can you just briefly touch on that and say, you know, like what it is, and you, I know you may, you just mentioned it, but okay. uh, it's a really good topic. It's a really hot, you know, that President Trump just started not too long ago. Okay. Well, first we need to clarify what they are called, okay? Yeah. They are called Opportunity Fund 
zone with a D, not opportunity, fun zones. <laughs> right, yeah. So, okay, there is like that fun part of the Good. fund, yeah. but the critical word is fund. Okay. What happens with those uh, new investment vehicles after the tax reform is this is a way to pose it gives gives you two major benefits one is you can defer your capital gain and two is you can shelter from taxes certain growth but the way it works is very much misunderstood so best way is to run like quick example so let's like briefly talk about yeah. how it would work sure First is, again, does not apply to flipping. Mm -hmm. So if you bought a property, uh, rehabbed that, yeah. increased its value and sold, you cannot use opportunity fund zone, opportunity zone fund for that nice. at all. Mm -hmm. So what you can do is you have a rental property. Actually, the starting point can even be selling appreciated stocks. Right. But you need to first have capital gains. And the capital gain can happen is, okay, you had a house that you uh, bought 10 years ago, it tripled in value by now. So you bought it for 100, right now you are selling it for 300. So now you have 200 gain. You can take that gain and move it into opportunity zone fund. Mm -hmm. That's when we say fund, it's not a special fund like a mutual fund. Uh, would be at a financial institution. Mm -hmm. right. Anybody can start uh, that fund. All you really need to do is have an LLC mm -hmm. and uh, that LLC self identifies like uh, as, a, as an opportunity zone yeah. fund. But you don't need a qualified intermediary like a No, okay. no, you really don't. Okay. I highly recommend that you use an attorney to set it up and not an online shortcut system in order to follow all the little rules mm -hmm. that have to deal with that and it's very easy to run uh, uh to break those rules mm -hmm. that irs sets for those but as long as the llc is set up all you will end up doing is telling the irs is okay that llc will be an opportunity zone fund so what you do is you move that 200 gain into the fund so now you have an llc with 200 grand what it needs to do after that is invest those 200,000 uh, into something which is geographically situated in one of those opportunity zones. Right. Though, those are easily found online. When we talk about in Houston, as there are multiple zip codes in Houston that qualify mm -hmm. as opportunity zones. Mm -hmm. So uh, you can invest it there. And when you do is, okay, let's say you are buying there uh, another like fixer upper. In this case, it does not have to be a rental property. You can actually mm -hmm. get a flip in that opportunity zone, but I want to skip the details mm -hmm. about how it operates right yeah. now. But say, so what are the tax benefits? There are two. First, remember how we started. We started it by selling a property, and having 200,000 gain. Right. So normally you would pay capital gain taxes on that. What happens with the opportunity zone fund, if you moved it there, at the time you put it in the fund, you do not pay taxes. You will eventually pay taxes on that. Mm -hmm. Eventually will be is, 
people have like that mistaken uh, concept sometimes that opportunity fund will erase taxes on 200,000. It will not. You can delay it for a few years up until 2026 is the latest. At that time, you will end up paying taxes on 200. And the best you can do is get a 15% discount on your taxes. Uh. There are some rules there on how long you have to hold the money there. Mm -hmm. But you can get it. You will not eliminate taxes on the 200. That's a big difference yes. between 1031. Correct. Right. Yes. But what you get is it's not indefinite. It's for a few years. So first you buy time and then you can get a 15% discount. But 85% will still be due no later than 2026. Mm. A bigger benefit potentially is this. What happens with the 200, once you put it in the fund, so if you put it in the fund and the fund continues doing good investments and the 200 grows into 500 mm. or a million, you can avoid tax on the growth inside the fund from 200 to 500 or million or whatever it grows to okay. as long as you keep that fund for 10 years. Okay. Again, so, there are a lot of a lot of important rules yeah. there. I'm giving going like <laughs> yeah, consult your attorney yeah, like, and the CPA before you make uh, any investments. Uh, but this is good, really mm -hmm. good overview. So, but do you have the so benefits? One, you can um, not just go from real estate to real estate, but you can go from different assets that appreciate it. Correct. Right? Any capital gain you can yeah. use to start a fund, Collect as long as it's capital gain. Right, and then. Too, but do you have the have the thirty day or sixty day identification period and all that stuff? Uh, no, what you are referring to is when you are comparing it with a ten thirty one exchange. Other differences between right them. on ten thirty one exchange, you have forty five days to identify right. replacement property and then hundred eighty to close. close it, right. Yes, what you have here is you have hundred eighty days to roll money into the fund. Okay. So in fact. For some people, that could be a backup, like plan B. If you try to do 1031 exchange and you missed the 45-day window, mm -hmm. you still might have a way to put it into opportunity fund. Uh, however, remember that it works differently. It right. does not have the same benefits that 1031. And you can say which one is better. They work differently. Mm -hmm. Opportunity zone funds provide one set of tax benefits. Yeah. 1031 provides the other. And uh, it's case by case. So really, if I uh, consult one investor and we compare, we can arrive to a conclusion that for you, George, it's better to use 1031 exchange. Yes. For somebody else, it could be opportunity zone fund is better. Yeah. And for somebody else, it could be neither one is a good way, right. a good way to go. Right. Yeah. So, no, that's that's great. I think those are good, really good comparisons for investors mm -hmm. to kind of investigate before they, you know, go yeah. sell a house and just at least learn about it and make that option available for themselves. And uh, and the, like you said, there's definitely a, a different benefits to that to both. I also want to add one comment to yeah. that conversation because right. when we talk about those things a lot of people get frustrated when we start saying is okay there are three different strategies and one may work one may not work is why can't you just say which strategy is better and what i tell in this situation look it's no different from the real estate business itself you know when you are buying property there are different exit strategies right 
And you're saying, which is the best? There is no such thing as the best. There are some property which is which are best to wholesale like. and not keep in your hands. There are other properties that are best as long-term buy and hold. And yet other properties are best for owner financing. And every investor understands that. But look, taxes are no different. Like. You know, depending on what your situation is, just like exit strategy for real estate depends on the property and where you are. Well, same with taxes. Yeah. It depends on where you are, what your goals are. Strategies are different for different people. Right. Absolutely. So, um, and you mentioned owner financing as another way to kind of exit the property without kind of avoid some of that taxes right away, right? If you you have a 200, on the same example, you have a $200,000 gain, but then you, you sell owner financing for $300,000. You know, maybe the person may come up with, with a 10% payment Give you thirty thousand dollars. What are the what are the tax benefits, uh, or how how does the taxes treated on that gain of thirty thousand dollars when you have uh, two hundred thousand dollars gain on the books for owner financing? Uh, once I mentioned owner financing, yeah. I immediately regret it <laughs> because I felt this. Okay, okay. <laughs> no, no, that's that's fine. You don't want to. I opened the can of worms. Yes. I have to deal yes. with that. Yeah. But what happens here with owner financing yeah. is it's it's very interesting topic, mm -hmm. but also controversial. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm uh, for people who know me, they know that I never hide from controversy in fact i like to create it so let's talk about owner financing and my opinion is not the same as opinion of other people uh, that's a disclaimer up front so first is i want to everybody who pursues owner financing i want to understand that it's not really investing in the same sense as being a landlord and holding rental properties what you are doing when you have a property in your hands and your owner financing that this is the trade-off that you are making and i urge every investor who considers that to look at to be super clear about what is happening because it, owner financing is so popular right now people focus on one aspect of that cash flow yes absolutely cash flow and owner financing is great no argument about it. Nobody can say owner financing does not create good cash flow. It does. As a rule, better cash flow than rental property. But there is a trade-off. It does not come for free. What happens is you trade, you get cash flow. But what you give up is appreciation on the property. This is something that people continue to miss as a big picture. If you have property as a rental property today and it's worth 100 grand, 10 years from now, that property will be worth 200 grand. 10 years from now, you will have a 200 grand asset in your hands. But if you owner finance and your owner finance for 10 years, 10 years from now, you have nothing. Mm -hmm. The note is paid off. You have nothing. Right. So during the 10 years, you have better cash flow, no doubt about it. But at the end of 10 years, you have nothing as opposed to a, an appreciated asset. So you need to be very clear when you pursue that. That's not a tax issue. That's a real estate uh, strategy issue. Right. You are trading off appreciation and accumulation of wealth 
for cash flow. For some people, it's the right trade-off. For some people, it's not. Need to be very clear where you want to end up with more cash or with more assets. Not the same thing. Yeah. Now tax issues of that because the conversation you started was tax uh, side of it. If you have rental properties, owner financing is good from tax perspective. It has benefits. So what happens there in your example is you get down payment. So a lot of people mistakenly think that what happens is you get taxed on the down payment. You are not really taxed on the down payment itself. Hmm. What happens there is every payment that you receive on owner financing, whether it's down payment or monthly payment or the final payoff, whatever that is, every payment is broken into three parts. Mm -hmm. Some of that is interest, some of that is non-taxable return of principal, and some of that is capital gain. Mm. So even down payment is chopped into tax-free return of principal and capital gain. So not entire down payment, mm -hmm. part of it will be taxed. And then part of your monthly payment is taxed and part of your next monthly payment. And then part of your final payoff payment. Yeah. So every payment is partially taxed. Yeah. What is good here is you are always taxed on the money that you already received and only part of that. Yeah. So that works very well. So you end up uh, when owner financing property is getting more cash over right. the time of owner financing right. at a good interest, you have consistent cash flow, assuming, of course, the buyer keeps paying. Right. Okay, but if he is not, you can still uh, foreclose and get the property back. And your taxes are fair. You pay as you go. Yeah. The problem comes, and that's where a lot of controversy is, is if you are trying to owner finance flips. By flips, again, here is what I mean. You buy property, fix it, and then owner finance right away. You never held it as a rental. You fixed it up or didn't even fix. You just bought it mm -hmm. and the next day owner financed to somebody else. So when that happens, it's a flip. And if you do that consistently, if that is your business model, if that's what you do, and we have plenty of investors in Houston and everywhere else in the country who are doing tons of those owner finance deals, doing a couple of those a week, you uh, know, yeah. and what is happening, you keep churning properties, mm -hmm. buying, fixing, owner financing, buying, fixing, owner financing. In this case, you are a dealer. Dealer cannot do that spread taxes, which is called an installment sale. Mm -hmm. The tax law prohibits you from doing that. And tax consequences are brutal. What happens in these cases, you are forced to pay taxes before you receive the money. So if you are in that boat, if that's your business strategy, then you need to talk to somebody with experience in real estate taxation, somebody like me, and I will concede that opinions differ. What I just told you, there are some colleagues of mine who disagree with me. And we will continue to disagree. I'm right. pretty strong. I feel very strongly about my opinion on that. Right. And right now we are on audio podcast. But if we were on video, if I 
uh, again, people who met me before in Houston, they know that when I do live presentations, I wear my martial arts uniform That's and right. black belt. And I call myself black belt in real estate taxation. So I do consider my knowledge in real estate to be uh, pretty significant. And I feel very strongly about, I say, but not everybody agrees with me. So that is, that is okay. You know, in this, not, not everybody agrees with, actually, you take any statement related to real estate and there will be people who disagree with you. Yeah. And then there are, and then people change their mind, like, you know, some gurus who had a position at one point and right now they teach differently. Mm -hmm. Well, again, uh, maybe one day somebody will be able to convince me that I was wrong on saying that on Honor Finance. Right. As of today, uh, I haven't heard any argument that would convince me otherwise. So my warning is if you are trying to Honor Finance flips, be very careful about taxes and have a solid strategy. If you have rentals, which means is again, you bought property, fixed that up and held it as a rental for, for a year, say, or more, then you have no problems. Owner financing works beautifully in this case. Right. No, that's that's really good advice. You know, I think anybody who is uh, who had both maybe had both rentals and flips, you know, they need to kind of consider the the pros and cons. Yes, and again, like we are talking about a pattern and consistent business strategy. Mm -hmm. Doing that with one property, yeah, does not create a problem. Doing it with multiple properties, one after another, does create a does create a problem. Right. Right. I think we can get into like da franks and things like that too. And once you had start owner financing a lot of properties, right? Yeah, but that is different. Dot frank is not a tax issue. Yeah, yeah. Okay, right. right. It's, more, it's more financing. Correct. Yes, it's yes, it's yes. the funding yeah, issue. Yeah, right. But and dot frank also has some controversy. People have slightly different interpretation of what you are and are not allowed to do. Right. But there is more consistency and gotcha. more consensus around dot frank than there is about taxation of owner financed fleets. Really? Okay. Well, that's mm. all things to consider when you are, you know, whether mm. doing flips or, you know, doing owner financing. So consult a professional um, and consider all the different aspects uh, when you pick a strategy. Um, so another thing issue that relate to uh, depreciation that people often get confused is, you know, let's say the, the $100,000 house that appreciated, but then you let's say eighty thousand was it twenty thousand was land and eighty thousand was depreciation of the house. You took all the depreciation and the time you sell it, right? So the eighty thousand they had something called depreciation recapture, right? Right. Okay. So I'll pick up your example okay. like uh, you know, with the same numbers. We yeah. we already had that example earlier. So yeah. again, what we are talking about, we bought house for a hundred grand, mm -hmm. assigned twenty to land, and then we have eighty thousand that we can depreciate. Mm -hmm. You said when it's completely depreciated is okay. To completely depreciate 80,000 would take 27 and <laughs> right, a half yeah. years. Let's say, yeah, let's say yeah, no, yeah. Nobody holds it that, that long. <laughs> right. Yes, but let's say you held it for 10 years. Uh -huh. So out of that 80,000, let's say you depreciated 30 of that. Mm -hmm. So you have 50, 50 still left. So you started with 80 depreciated 30 and have 50 left. Now that 100, 
thousand house that you bought 10 years ago you are selling today and that's a 200 uh, house right now so everybody understands that the difference between the 200 that you are selling it for right now and 100 that you paid for that 10 years ago that difference is called capital gain and everybody knows like long-term capital gain rate is 15 percent actually it's incorrect to say that people like to simplify and say 15 percent it depends on your tax bracket mm -hmm. it could be as low as zero if you're in a low bracket and it could be as high as 20 percent mm -hmm. if your income uh, for that year is higher gotcha. 15 is common but not only okay. number that you use but let yeah but let's work with 15. Yeah. here is what people forget or don't realize when it happens in addition to that hundred grand and that hundred grand was appreciation of the property which you bought at a hundred and now is worth 200. you need to look at depreciation that thirty thousand depreciation that you took has to be returned when you sold the property right. and the term for that is depreciation recapture so it's essentially the way I prefer to look at that and that and that's what I recommend investors look at that the same way depreciation is not a freebie it's a loan for 10 years you have been taking that loan but now when you sold it you have to pay back the loan so that 30,000 will be taxed and not at 15 percent but at 25 percent will be taxed higher that's an additional tax that people don't take into consideration and are often shocked to discover important to keep in mind yeah perfect that's a great yeah summary of the depreciation recash people need to and and i guess one you know people talk about eventually even if you you know um uh try to avoid the depreciation i mean i guess if you do estate planning through estate planning you can you know if you pass it down to your heirs uh, you know not sell the property hold on for a long time that's the kind of the only way to really uh avoid that in addition to all kind of the 1031s and things like okay. that well estate estate planning is an interesting term so let's clarify what we are talking about yeah. there are two issues that happened uh like in your uh, in your question your question combined two issues okay. really one of them is what happens when you die and that's uh, not 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 the most exciting topic to talk about however like if anything ever has a positive side like even in death you can find the positive side i guess the positive side will will be for your heirs because if you had that property and the property you bought originally for 100 grand and by now it's worth 300 or 500 and you sell it you would pay taxes the capital gain plus depreciation recapture but if you that property appreciated in value and you died then your children will get that property right. and will never ever have to pay capital gain tax on it which is excellent benefit it's called a step up basis mm -hmm. and but that's not estate planning the term for that is step up basis so that is often combined with 1031 so if you have a 1031 exchange from a 
inexpensive property into more expensive and then even more expensive and then a bigger bigger property and you end up with some huge portfolio that initially started with a small seed and by now it's an empire and you never paid capital gain taxes because you always did 1031 exchange and then you never sold then after your death all of the capital gain taxes will be wiped out that is a very powerful a wealth building strategy multi-generational in the family mm -hmm. do 1031s never sell the other part when you mention estate planning estate planning has to do with something completely different after you die if you are worth millions and you have to be over 10 over 10 million before we even start this conversation mm -hmm. but if you are worth uh substantial amount of money you will be dealing with death tax mm -hmm. which is also known as a state tax right and estate planning is a complicated uh set of strategies that is designed to deal with that tax it's not current irs income tax it's the tax that happened that is imposed on what you're living after your death for your children yeah so that is completely different right yeah. completely different we're not going to get into that right. today okay. <laughs> i don't want to open that can of worms yeah. um that's great and then uh i guess just one last topic that a lot of a lot of our listeners are interested in you know some of us are you know w2 employees who have full-time jobs who does kind of real estate rentals on the side and some of our full-time investor who you know they go out and they, they look at properties every day they go out and do the, maybe do the work themselves um you know I guess to qualify for a full-time, I mean, some of us who have full-time jobs want to be, you know, there's tax benefit to be a full-time investor, but we can't, right? What distinguishes a full-time investor who, or versus me, you know, who does have a full-time job, you know, can, is there any way I can qualify to be a full-time investor? So wait a second, George, yeah. you said we are coming <laughs> towards the end, Yes. <laughs> towards the end of the episode, right? Yes. We should end on something positive. Okay, good. <laughs> okay, but this is not a positive conversation. Okay. All right. Okay. We can, we... I still have to answer your question, but we need to find something positive to talk about. Perfect. This part is mostly bad news, okay. unfortunately. Yes. And I don't want to close on bad news. But this bad news is still important to know about uh due to the way real estate investments are promoted so if all your knowledge about taxation comes from uh webinars and youtube and uh, uh, podcasts and i don't mean yours you know i mean those that uh paint very brief picture about benefits of investing mm -hmm. a lot of time they stop at the part where which we already discussed how depreciation helps you then uh, people who have full-time jobs and good income listen to that and saying is fantastic you know i hate the amount of taxes uh, that i'm paying we recently finished a job for one of our clients who is high paying professional and the word he used when he saw his tax bills he said that's nauseating he said like <laughs> i looked at my bill right. it's awful you know he said nauseating yeah. something yeah nausea is what you can experience looking there and then oh wait a second there is real estate there is depreciation right now i'm going to buy properties and wipe out half of my taxes what a great idea and then they try to implement it and come into very nasty surprise 
that it does not work because the IRS rules prevent somebody who is making more than 150 grand from taking losses from real estate. Even below 150, it's limited. But 150 is the stop point. And unfortunately, that 150 is family number, not per person. Mm. So if my wife and myself both have jobs and I'm making 75, she's making 75, here is, you know, 75 salary is not being a rich person, even in Houston, you know, but, and in some places that's absolutely like below poverty level, right? And here you have two salaries of 75, you combine it's 150. Mm -hmm. And here you are, you are a rich person as far as the IRS is concerned. And they stop you from taking those losses. Now, it's not everything bad news, meaning as if you have those losses from depreciation and whatnot, they are not discarded. You don't throw them in garbage. They are put on a shelf. They are put into the future. When you sell your property, you still can catch up, but not today. So it means this, if you are, have high paying W-2 job, you can have rental properties, but your taxes will stay exactly the same. They do not go down. Right. If your salary is low, they might. If your salary is high, no. Or, and, and again, remember, I'm talking about combined salary in case of husband and wife. Right. Okay. So then when you sell a property later on, you catch up, but not today. Then what you brought up is known as a real estate professional loophole. What it does is if you can qualify as a real estate professional, then you are not restricted by those IRS rules. What happens at that point is you can take all the losses. You can increase your depreciation. You can do cost segregation. You can do all of these things. Yeah. And you can take as much losses against your w in W-2 income as you are able to create with your uh, tax strategies. But you have to qualify as a real estate professional. Mm -hmm. And the way you qualify is very confusing. It's confusing not only for investors. It's confusing for CPAs who are not real estate professionals, who often give incorrect advice. Yeah. And guess what? It's confusing for the IRS. The IRS completely misunderstands what real professional, real estate professional is. Yeah. As part of our business, we defend people who are audited. Yeah. There were multiple audits over my 20 years in this business where we had to talk about real estate professional issue with the IRS agents and they have no idea what it is. They don't understand that, unfortunately. So let's try to be clear without going into details. Mm -hmm. But basically there are three parts to qualify for that real estate professional and you need to check three boxes, not one. People when they talk about that often cite one rule. They normally talk about 750 hours. Okay, that is a rule. That's one of the three rules. And that's the last one of the three. Okay. So before 750, there are two more rules. Let's talk in sequence. Rule number one, you have to, what the IRS calls, materially participate in your activities. What that basically means is this. You have to do a lot of work yourself. 
Can't be a passive. You cannot be a passive investor. Yeah. Now, again, that rule is complicated. If we, we don't have time on unfortunately right now yeah. to go into technical yeah. side of that yeah. but remember the step number one you have to be hands-on involved in your in your real estate business cannot just be put oh i put money into that partnership and got back to my job no you can do that but it does not give get you any closer to being a real estate professional gotcha. second part of the rule is you have to spend more hours in real estate than in anything else you do for money. That's the part that kills everybody who has a full-time uh, W-2 job. Right. Because here is what needs to happen, and people misunderstand the rules. They're saying, but I have 750 hours. Guys, 750 is rule number three. Right. We are talking about rule number two. Rule number two says you need to spend more hours. This is what it means. If you have a normal 40-hour job, then every week you need to spend another 41 hour of documented right. work. Yeah. So you have to have 81, 81 hour a week, 52 times. weeks. Yeah, yeah. 50, 52 weeks a year. That's almost impossible yeah. to accomplish. Right. So anybody who has a normal, regular 40-hour W-2 job, cannot meet rule number two at, at that point rule rule number three does not matter you cannot meet rule number two yep. there is good news which we'll talk about mentioning rule number three okay. so rule number three says and you need to accumulate 750 hours a year 750 hours a year is not that difficult it translates into about 15 mm -hmm. hours per week right but it still requires that you have substantial business. People are often trying to claim that when they have one rental house. Saying that, guys, with one rental house, I don't see how you spend 15 hours a week managing one house. I cannot defend you with a straight face before the IRS trying to make that claim. Now, if you have a portfolio of properties or if you have doing a lot of flipping, wholesaling, if you are doing something else in real estate, we, that's 750 hours is very doable. But not when you have couple houses as rental properties. It's extremely difficult to uh, meet that rule. Okay, so again, the three rules is you have to participate uh, hands-on. Two is you have to spend more hours in real estate than in anything else you do for money. And three, it has to be 750 hours a year. Now for the good news. Okay, so what is good here? Perfect. The good part here is that if you are married, only one of the spouses needs to qualify. So if you are asking this, you, George, like have a high-paying W-2 job, 40 hours a week, spend on that, so you cannot qualify. What can you do? You have to marry <laughs> a full-time real estate person. Yes. So if you marry a realtor who has spends all the money, all her time as a realtor, and as a family you have a portfolio that works very well. For a family where one spouse is a realtor, and uh, you have portfolio as a family, excellent strategy. Uh, to qualify right. as a real estate a professional. Role, role yes. Yeah. And by the way, people misunderstand that, particularly the IRS. 
You do not need to be a licensed realtor to be real estate professional. Right. I used realtor example just because it often happens. Yeah. But it's not one of the rules. Right. I, I mentioned three rules. None of them says you need to be real estate a licensed agent. Right. No. Yeah. And becoming an agent, that's where confusion is. A lot of time people saying is, oh, I'm okay because my wife is a realtor. No. Having a license is not meeting the three rules. The three rules still stand. It's just easier for a realtor to meet those rules. Yeah. So that's, a, again, that's a good strategy. As a side note, if you are going for that, prepare to be audited. The IRS has a targeted audit program specifically against real estate professional because it's such a great benefit. Mm -hmm. It is great. If you can qualify, go for it. Just you know, cost of doing businesses, you very, your chances of being audited will be very high. So what I tell people is I don't tell people don't claim that. I'm saying is don't claim that if you don't have your ducks in a row. Right. If you are claiming that the audit rate is pretty high, very good chance you will have to defend yourself. And if you don't, if you don't qualify, don't go there. Right. But if yeah. you do qualify, that's an excellent way to uh, offset income from one of the spouse's uh, high W two job. Yeah. And yeah. if you if and if you don't have jobs, if all you do is a family is real estate, absolutely. Yeah. That's that's the way to go. Okay, that's great advice. I think a lot of us are, are uh, will learn. <laughs> I actually think that every single realtor out there. Mm -hmm should send thank you card to our podcast because we are helping them <laughs> right now That's with right. ideas not only to improve their uh, tax situation but also their personal life yeah absolutely so we're yeah. telling every every high paying executive should marry a realtor <laughs> send your send your uh, thank you cards to michael after this i'll give you the contact information yeah maybe i should start a side <laughs> business as a matchmaker there you go yeah yeah Matchmaking with tax benefits. How about that? Yeah. Houston real estate matchup.com. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of meetup, it will be matchup. Matchup, exactly. Matchup, yes. Exactly. That's our next business we're going to yes. launch. So, okay. You gave us a lot of great tips and strategies for real estate and taxes. We really appreciate really appreciate that. And, you know, if anybody has more questions, please contact Michael. I'll give out his contact information. And so here's the next segment. We're going to talk about some more general advice for, for whether real estate investors or, you know, just tax... Uh, people who are interested in tax and professional um, uh, in general, uh, not related to tax. So, Michael, you does a lot of things. You get, you, you have your own. You have you know your company, and you've been in the business for a long time. You know what keeps you going? What 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 makes wake you up in the day and say, hey, you know, we're gonna you know help people. I mean, that's something that people struggle with. Is you know, come overcome the challenges every day and the hurdles, the roadblocks. What keeps you going and keep you motivated? I'm not special. It's I'm just like everybody else, like you, Georgia, like every uh, friend that we have in real estate. Motivation is different. You know, it depends on what is happening. Okay, when I started in this business, I did the stupid thing. I did the thing that I don't recommend anybody doing. However, a lot of real estate and new investors do exactly the same mistake that I did is I quit a well-paying job cold. I just walked into the office of my boss a week before 
new year and said is, you know what, from January 1st, I'm out of here, I'm starting a tax business. And I thought that I could make money real quick. And uh, no, that was not a, that was not my brightest uh, move in life. I can tell you that. I struggled initially, just like a lot of people who start their own businesses. And motivation at that point is, hey, you have to pay your bills. That's your motivation. You have to survive. Right. So how you, you know, how you do that as well, you know, survival instincts keep you going. Okay. And then at the better times in my life is motivation comes from liking what you do. And people can think, how can you like this crap? Like, what, what are we dealing with here? You know, numbers, stupid lows, but it depends how you look at that. Mm -hmm. Like I mentioned that I wear my martial arts uniform and my black belt uh, when I present calling myself black belt in real estate taxation. But I also actually, you know, outside of my tax business, I am a student of martial arts. Oh. So, you know, that's my real be black belt. So what, why I'm bringing that up? Because my personality is I'm a fighter. You know, I would fight CPAs who disagree with me over uh, owner financing uh, tax taxation, you know, fight, I mean, not physically, you know, so I like, I like, uh, I like fighting. And when it comes to the IRS, like where my, re my trademark red gloves come from, my logo has me wearing red gloves. Standing next to Uncle Sam, punching Uncle Sam. You can see this Uncle Sam right here, right now in our room. It's cardboard cutout of Uncle Sam. So I like to punch Uncle Sam too. So what my motivation was is, look, I love to win arguments with the IRS. Mm -hmm. And I have an, like, I'm lucky to have very good record in beating the IRS in their game. So what keeps... Me motivating is yes, and helping my clients find strategies that beat the IRS and keep money in their pocket, that is very rewarding. Yeah. Just like my clients enjoy not just the fact that they are making money, that they are helping people in the process. So at the end of the game, all of that is about helping people. Yeah. Investors help homes, you know, uh, help sellers, help uh, to... Uh, get out of a bad situation, help buyers to get an attractive property. Well, I help investors to save money and grow their business. So yeah. we we get satisfaction ultimately. Anyway, we look at it, at, you know, from helping people and enjoying the process of doing that. Yes. So no, that's and, the standard part. And yes. also, I mean, I, mm -hmm. I appreciate that. And then, uh, you know, I think you offer some free booklets on your website that I downloaded and they're available and also some seminars that are great videos that if you want to educate more and learn more about uh, taxes and yes we need we are in the process of updating that because we have so much content but we uh, that, yes <laughs> well yes it's a good problem to have uh, the problem I'm about to mention is where we got very busy uh, with uh, tax strategies and helping investors and neglected the content part. We actually have two websites. You were about to share uh, my contact information. Let me jump into that and just saying sure. there are two different websites. Yeah. One is one is simple. One has my name, 
michaelplux.com and it's michaelplux p l a k s so michaelplux.com that website is the educational part that's where the content is and that's the neglected part you know we do have recorded webinars there uh, recorded seminars for sale and we have uh, good free content but there is so much more that we we have we are planning to put out which we just did not have time to share including podcasts you know webinars uh, like and recorded talks yeah. that i did then we have our consulting website the firm that i own like the office where we are sitting right now having this conversation is rei tax firm rei standing for real estate investment so real estate investors tax firm rei tax firm.com that's our company's website and we provide advisory services for clients so if you if you allow me i'll spend just a minute basically describing what we do because it's different from uh, typical offerings that uh, tax firms do a lot of people are looking around and right now we are recording that close to the end of the year and people start looking for it they go i want to find a cpa for uh, yeah, to help me it's that time of year yes but let's let's define what you mean by saying that I want to find a CPA. For a lot of people, that means finding somebody to prepare tax returns. We have done that for 20 years, but we are not doing that right now as a standalone service. Why? And I want to make that very clear. Because this is what we learned over so many years in business. Tax return is not the problem. Tax return is the final step. And that tax return is recording history. When you do tax return, things already happened. For most things, it's too late. It's too late to improve your situation. You improve your situation in two ways. By planning forward before things happen, called tax planning. And by keeping your numbers in order, recording them correctly. Mm -hmm. That's bookkeeping. So tax return is actually the easiest part of Mm -hmm. the business. The difficult part is bookkeeping and uh, tax planning. Yeah. So what we do is we don't do tax preparation on its own. We only work with established investors who need advisory as a as a set like as a combined packaged yeah. service. Yeah. So what we do is it's called advisory service. It includes all tax planning. Mm-hmm. It includes bookkeeping, tax preparation, defending from the IRS if somebody is audited or has IRS letters and a lot more. Like visit our website, reitaxfirm.com. We explain there what we do, how we do that. Yeah. We created our own kick-ass bookkeeping system, mm-hmm. which is unique and specific to real estate. So mm-hmm. we provide an... Uh, rare it's it's rare to find in our industry like all-inclusive service for as a for experienced real estate investors even even as far as um, uh, asset protection setup asset protection setup no No, okay gotcha that part is not we consult Mm. on setup but we do not set up entities because that's an attorney's job Mm -hmm. 
We do not have attorneys on staff. Yeah. In right. our company, we only have accountants. Yeah. To set up now, there are some CPAs. I I I will admit that there yeah. are some CPAs who offer creating uh, companies. Right. Actually, that's questionable if it's legal for CPAs to do that. Yeah. Creating companies a legal service, you need to be an attorney for that. Mm-hmm. So we decline doing that. Gotcha. You need an attorney to set it up. Gotcha. But you still need to consult with us for the optimal structure for tax benefits. It depends. You know, if you are doing flipping versus private lending versus uh, holding properties, yes. that's not the same setup. Everybody needs yeah. uh, something different. Absolutely. Absolutely. So definitely um, that's something that people should not just be proactive, right? It's September now, but it's some, this is something that for even for 2019, I think you get some benefits. You're coming in here talking to right. a, you know, you have three or four months left. <laughs> Theoretically, you know, yes. you can still... The, the time to do something is before. Yes. Before, not after. Yes. We mentioned 1031 exchange. is a great example. We have so many calls which are frustrating for both sides, more for the people who call, but also for us. Right. Us because we feel sorry for right. missed opportunity for people, they lost money. You cannot do 1031 exchange after you sell the property. Right. It has to start before you sell. So people call us saying, okay, I just sold the property. How do I do an exchange? <laughs> Too late, buddy. Sorry. Missed the yeah. boat. Right. So a lot of things need to be done in advance. So if you want to have better tax situation for next year, the time to plan it now. I want to maybe close this mm-hmm. on a piece of advice for beginner investors. Mm-hmm. Because what we were talking about now more applies to people who have experience in the business, more seasoned investors. But what about somebody who is starting right now, listening to our podcast, maybe haven't done a deal yet, just about to, you know, learning about the things and uh, um, planning to start real soon. My advice for people who are just starting is also controversial, but I warned you early on. You know, controversy (laughs) controversy is my my way of doing things, okay? So, not for the sake of controversy, but it's just, you know, there are different opinions. I'm like, I'm very open about mine and uh, don't apologize for them. My opinion is that when you start, forget about complexities. Don't waste your time. I said waste and, uh, you know, it was not a uh, was not an accidental word. I mean it when I said it. I think it's a waste of time when you're brand new to start going around and talking to accountants, lawyers, gurus, and stuff like that. When you're brand new, the focus should be is make money. That's the only focus when you start. Find a way to make your first deal, actually first few deals. After you have tried something, after you tried it on yourself and have a better idea what works, what does not work, what you like, what you hate. A lot of times as you are planning to do something, then you go into that and I'm saying, is man, that sucked. <laughs> I never again want to do this. Right. But real estate is so diverse. If this did not work, work out, there is probably something else that you can do in real estate which would work for you. Once you find it, then is the right time to get with people like me, with tax planners, with lawyers, and 
plan how you can do better. But when you start, preserve your money and time and energy that people spend on what I call is building my team. Forget team building. When you start, build a team of wholesalers and contractors, people who can, and lenders, you know, like people who can make you, help you make the first deal. That's what's important. Everything yeah. else comes later, yeah. including taxes. Yeah, no, absolutely. Don't like the tail wag the dog, as they exactly, say. Exactly, right? exactly. Don't, don't go focus on tax yes. benefit before yes. you even do a deal. Right? Yes, that's that's my conviction after yeah. spending over 20 years working exclusively with real estate investors. Right. Start by making money, worry about everything else later. Right, right. Tax is just one of the benefits yes. of real estate. It's not, I mean, you want to cash flow, you want to have appreciation, those things are the kind of the breadwinners. Yes, precisely. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, yes, this is perfect. Thank you for that uh, little gold nugget there at the end. So, and we go to the last segment. We want to wrap this up. Uh, you mentioned you, you do karate or um, one of the martial arts as, as fun. What is there anything else you do uh, around here? <laughs> when you're not busy <laughs> doing creating content and helping people do taxes? Yeah, there are, you know, everybody has a, you know, few things that, yeah. uh, Hopefully, I think it's everywhere. Hopefully, yeah. like we are not we are not stuck stuck in one thing. But you know, I I love music. You know, I love reading. I do a few other things yeah. on the side. You know, yeah. besides uh, you know besides music, reading, and martial arts. But That's great. those probably are my top three. Okay, you mentioned reading. Any recent favorite books or um, blogs that you read? Uh, yes. Uh, one recent book that I read has a title which is not suitable for children. Okay. So if children are listening to that podcast, yeah. uh, dear kids, please yeah. step aside yeah, for a second. Yeah, cover your ears because the book, the official yeah. title, the official title of the book by uh, Mark Manson is the author. The book is uh, the book is uh, called "The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck." <laughs> that is a real right. book and then fantastic book yeah. for everybody regardless of whether you are an entrepreneur or or not mm-hmm. it's an excellent book with a wonderful like take on life yeah i found lots of very useful information yeah. that connected very well with the yeah. uh, with the vision of the author who i actually followed with, before he wrote his book you know, I yeah. I was reading his. Um, oh, okay. uh, he had a blog for a long time, so I really enjoyed his articles. Then he came up with this book. He's working on another book right now, but that's one of one of my recent favorites yeah. among uh, among those I yeah, read. Sometimes you need that little piece of that, you know, to kind of. Oh focus, yes, absolutely. Know, and, yeah. and if people think that the book really is about not caring, no, it's not. The book is much deeper than that. I highly recommend everybody getting a copy awesome that's a great i need to check that out um last one what's your favorite houston restaurant uh what's my favorite houston restaurant okay it's hard to name uh, one but if i have to name one it would probably be fadis which is a mediterranean buffet here in uh, myerland and uh, uh it's in my well I cannot say 
conclusively, but, you know, in my opinion, that's one of the best Mediterranean restaurants I, yeah, I, I, have, I have visited, yes. yes. And uh, I stress that it's the one that is in Meyer, like, like <laughs> not, that, not the that particular location, yeah. oh, really? because it's still operated by the original owner, oh. the guy who started Demasi's chain, mm. then sold it, and now he, and then he founded Fadis, and that particular location, he personally is there. That's why it's still the best. Interesting. That's okay. the original Mediterranean yeah, chef in Houston. Yeah, yeah. I go mm-hmm. to one on Westheimer, and also there's one in Katy that just recently opened up. But yeah, Correct. I know But that. no, I, I yeah. specifically Good. recommend Marlon because that because of the, the original owner and chef. Right. And you can see him every day there behind the, yeah. uh, like behind the counter, still serving food even. Yeah. After all of these years. Wow, that's great. It's good to know. Well, thank you so much, Michael, for sharing time with us and uh, gave us such great knowledge. I appreciate it. I appreciate the chance to talk to you, to you and to your listeners about my favorite topic. Again, wish, I wish everybody a lot of success in real estate in the in this year, next year, for the rest of their <laughs> life, and uh, bring your family, your kids into the business. That's an that's a fantastic business to yeah. um, build generational wealth and uh, independence. Yeah. Thank you, George. Yeah, thank you. All right. Thanks again to Michael for joining our podcast and sharing lots of knowledge on taxation. If you want to learn more about Michael and his firm, please visit michaelplax.com. That's Michael, P-L-A-K-S.com or R-E-I-TaxFirm.com. He offers lots of free content in the form of booklets, blogs, and videos, and you'll also be able to find seminars available for purchase. And as always, thanks to Ben Sound for providing music. Thank you so much for listening, and see you next time.